Let's bow. Father, what a privilege and a joy it is to sing these wonderful songs unto you. And we so look forward to what you have promised for us. And I thank you that uh, you're a good, gracious, faithful God who will bring us home safely to our heavenly home. Father, I do pray that as we look into your word now that you would use it to encourage us, to uh, convict us if need be, to correct us, to teach us and train us, that we would be more like your son Jesus. Use your word greatly for your glory. And may we respond in a way that brings you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what is it we should be doing in the church and when it comes to prayer for our leaders? How should you be praying for me? What would the Lord share in his word concerning how we should pray for one another and how we should pray for our leaders? I believe today we're going to see an example of uh, how we are to pray, but within that there's going to be a great encouragement, not only for those who are shepherding, but for those who are being shepherded. Would you turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 3. We are rapidly moving through the book of 2 Thessalonians, and so be praying about what we go to next. Um, but 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And you might uh, remember the context of 2 Thessalonians. It's very similar to the context of 1 Thessalonians because it's only been a few months since Paul wrote that first letter. And if you'll remember, uh, Acts 17 reveals the account of the conversion of the Thessalonians. Uh, those who had heard the word of God uh, preached and they responded uh, to the message. And we see that they turned to God from idols. They were really saved to wait for his son from heaven uh, to, to, uh, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They responded to the word of God and Paul was so thankful for that that they were saved, that uh, they saw it not as the word of men, but as the word of God, which it really, really is. And so we saw their salvation, and that was around uh, 50-ish A.D., and Paul was there with them for three weeks, but then he was driven out. And Paul was concerned, and so he wrote uh, the book of First Thessalonians after having sent Timothy to see how they were doing in their spiritual condition. And having heard the response, he sent uh, a letter, which was the first letter of First Thessalonians. And then we saw that uh, Paul felt the need to share another letter to them. And it's probably been about three or four months. So this church is probably still under a year old in the faith, and he's sharing sound, solid doctrine with them. You know, there's this bogus theology out there in churches these days that we have to lower it down to the lowest shelf so that people can understand. That's not true. The Apostle Paul, by the Spirit's power, shared the Word of God, and those who had receptive hearts received it and continued to grow and continue to grow. And that's the same thing with us. And so he sends this second letter to the Thessalonians, and he sends it to encourage them because they're enduring much persecution for following Jesus. It's so bad that false teachers have come along and said, hey, you're going through the day of the Lord. It's so bad. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter, first of all, to share that those who are persecuting them, God doesn't miss a beat. They're going on to their eternal destruction. And you, Thessalonians, are going on to glory. The Lord's going to take care of those who've rejected him, and he's going to uh, glorify you, and you're going to marvel when Christ comes. And so with that in mind, we were greatly encouraged, and we saw the Apostle Paul share even in the end of chapter 1 that the Lord was, would cause us, he prayed that he would cause us to live up to our great calling, or theirs, but ours too, and that our desires for goodness and for his our faith to work out powerfully that that would be fulfilled so that Christ would be glorified. Tremendous, wonderful prayer. Then we came into chapter 2 where we saw how to keep from being discouraged uh, when suffering, when we have threats to the faith. And I mentioned it already. There were false teachers who were saying to these Thessalonians, the day of the Lord had come. 
And really what they're saying is you've missed ultimately what Paul spoke about in 1 Thessalonians 4. You've missed the Lord delivering you from the wrath to come in what we call the rapture. And you're now in the day of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul has to correct that and share there's two specific things that must happen before that day happens and they haven't happened. So you're not in it. One is the apostasy and the second one is that the man of lawlessness is revealed, the Antichrist. We talked a lot about that. The one who's given all of Satan's power and, and authority for a, for a moment, but yet God is going to destroy him. Christ will destroy him with the breath of his mouth. And we see these Thessalonians are to be even in that encouraged because the Lord is in, he's sovereign. He's in control. You're not going through that day. You won't go through that day. And then we saw uh, in the end of this portion that uh, what they need to do instead of listening to the false teachers is to stand firm and hold on to the word of God. Hold on to what they have been taught so that they're not tossed to and fro by those bad guys that come alongside and twist the word of God to shake you up in your faith. And so we saw also what God does when we do stand firm in the faith, what he does uh, he gives us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, which he's given us. And then he will comfort our hearts and strengthen us for every good work and word. And it's from this point we come to chapter 3. And so we're going to see how, from Paul's example, how we can and how we are to pray for our leaders. Uh, again, turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 1, Finally, brethren... Pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. This is a very encouraging portion of scripture as we have Paul uh, giving a prayer request and you're going to learn how he wants them to pray for him and how I want you to pray for me and for any shepherd that is over you how we would want you to pray and so first of all notice first and foremost Paul asks that uh, they would pray that the word would go out gloriously in a sense and that they would be rescued from those who oppose he says, finally, brethren. Now, in Greek, this word finally doesn't mean finally like we kind of think of finally. You might remember from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, finally, and then chapter 4, finally. He's, he's saying, as to the rest. I'm, I'm kind of done with what I'm saying, but I've got something more to say. And that's what he's saying here. I'm kind of done with what I've said already, but I've got something else I want to say. As to the rest, and he says, brethren brethren. He's speaking to believers, those who have been convicted of their sin, those who have turned to Jesus Christ, believing in him and his work on the cross, sufficient to cover their sins, bringing forgiveness, their believers. A wonderful thing that God loved us so much that we should be called children of God. You see, spiritually speaking, before we are saved, we are the devil's children in a sense. We are his uh, children. We're in his domain and when we are saved, we are transferred from uh, Satan's domain to the kingdom of uh, our, his beloved son, the Lord's kingdom of Christ. We're transferred. We're, we're brought into the family. And therefore, we have a new spiritual father in a sense, and we have brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, repenting of your sins, you're not in God's family yet. But when you are delivered from your sin and placed into the body of Christ, we become children of God, children of God, and thus brothers and sisters to one another. The Apostle Paul shared earlier with them, they are, they are brethren beloved by the Lord. God loves them dearly, and that love has been exemplified in Christ dying for our sins. And so he says here, finally, brethren, and then his request, pray for us. Pray for us. And who's the us here? Chapter 2, verse 1, or chapter 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 1, the us is Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. That's who he was traveling with and ministering with. 
He says, pray for us. And this is significant because the Apostle Paul, although gifted by the Lord, was very aware that apart from prayer, uh, nothing's going to happen. That apart from God intervening and answering prayer, nothing will happen. Paul understood that only the Lord could help him do what he was called to do. And that's the same thing for us, whether it's within our spiritual gifting and how we serve in the church, whether it's within our natural talents, the things we're called upon on everyday life to do. We've got to come to the realization that only the Lord can help us accomplish those things in a way that will bring him glory. And therefore, if we understand that, we're going to be praying. We're going to be praying, Lord, help me in my job. Help me in this conversation. Help me in this relationship. Help me at school. Help me as I serve. Lord, I can't teach and preach unless you do it through me, Lord God. Help me do it. And the Apostle Paul is praying that they would, asking that they would pray for him. Pray for us. And this is significant because the Apostle Paul is constantly praying. We see this and we saw this throughout 1 Thessalonians and in 2 Thessalonians. Look back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. He says, We give thanks to God always for all of you. And he says, Making mention of you in our prayers. He's praying for them. He's thankful, as we see, for God's the results of their salvation, by the way, there. Chapter 2, verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians. And for this reason, we constantly give thanks. We constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Thank you. We give thanks to God because you responded to the word of God and you saw it as such. We see him praying in the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. It's all God. It's all him. We're praying for him to do it. And for all men, just as we also do for you, that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He's praying. He's dependent on the Lord. He's dependent on the Lord. We see in uh, chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, Now may the God of peace, verse 23, sanctify you entirely. God is the one who's going to do it. May he do it. And may your spirit and soul be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you or the one calling you. And he will bring it to pass. It's God that does it. So Paul is praying. And you see in his prayer life, uh, he prays for everything. And here he's saying, hey, pray for us. We need prayer. We need prayer. We saw this back in the, earlier in chapter 1 of Second Thessalonians, verse 11. To this end we pray that, uh, that for you that always... Always that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power in order that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, we saw it earlier right before our passage here, Second Thessalonians 2.16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace May he comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. It's God that's got to do it. And Paul understood that. It's one thing to speak the truth. It's another thing to live it. It's one thing to say, yeah, I believe that. It's another thing to actually do it. To believe it to the point where you do it. That's genuine faith. Faith will work. Faith will manifest in obedience to the word of God. If you truly believe what you are reading in the word of God what God has shared with you through his word. So he says, brethren, pray for us. And he also shares this uh, in the in the end of uh, 1 Thessalonians. Same thing, brethren, pray for us. Chapter 5, pray for us. Same phrase. It shows a humble dependence on the Lord. You see, we walk in pride. That's our problem, sin and pride. 
And, and we need to be humbled, and God is gracious to humble us. But we can be voluntarily humbled if we look at the Word of God and we submit our hearts to Christ rather than going the hard road where the Lord has to humble us through discipline. Paul was humble. So what is prayer? Prayer is simply communication with the living God. And for a believer, we have the privilege to come before the throne of grace. We can come into his presence at any time. The only thing that will hinder our prayers is sin. I read the earlier portion of Psalm 66, but in the latter portion, uh, the psalmist writes, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord doesn't hear. It's not that he doesn't hear. He doesn't respond. There's a blockage there, right? He's not listening. He's not listening. First Peter 3, 7, we know that for men, we're to live with our wives in an understanding way or according to wisdom. And we're to grant our wives honor as fellow heirs, the grace of life. They're, they're daughters of the king. Otherwise, our prayers will be hindered. Hindered. So then, we're to be praying, and Paul shares that. He shared back in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. So we're commanded to do so. Keep praying, keep praying. And folks, as I mentioned, as we pray, it reveals a humble dependence on the Lord. You see, apart from him, we can do nothing. You see, we're not adequate to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. You need to understand that. You need to learn that. And then you need to trust the Lord. And he's so good. He's so good because he does things through us then by his power and strength. And as I mentioned, we have the exact same request in 1 Thessalonians 5.25. Brethren, pray for us. And that's all he says back there. Brethren, pray for us. And so we see the Apostle Paul is humble. You know, some people never ask for prayer. And that's pride, by the way. Because you don't want people to know what's going on in your life or whatever you want people to think you've got it under control or whatever it might be. The Apostle Paul, now he's not just saying flippant prayers. These are directed and they are, they are correct in a sense in terms of their focus. He says, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. So then, now he could have asked many things. Notice what he says, but notice what he does ask for. Look at the passage. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us. And he's going to pray. He's going to say two things. And one of those things, the first thing, has two elements to it. He says, pray for us, first of all, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified. That's the first thing. Just as it did also with you. And then the second request, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Paul could have asked for anything. Pray for us for this or that. He could have asked for anything. But very specifically, he asked for prayer in relationship to the gifting and calling that God had bestowed upon him. Pray for us that this would happen and that this would be the response and that God would do this. Pray for us in this. Pray for us. And so he asked for prayer in relationship to the proclamation of the word of God and the response to the word of God and protection from threats to the word of God. And that's how you should be praying for me. And that's how you should be praying for your pastors. But we're to pray. And the apostle Paul wants people to pray in relationship to his gifting and calling. And that's very important. Yes, we're to pray about everything, but there are specifics that we have also. There are specifics. And it's also very important that we pray for one another and how, as we'll see, one responds to the Word of God. You know someone that's got an issue and you're going to come alongside them with uh, the Word of God here, so you're praying in advance. I pray that they'll respond rightly to it. They'll respond rightly. So then he's praying, asking for prayer, that the word would go out through him and that there would be a glorious response to it and that God would protect them from those opposed to the word. And this is how we need to pray for our leaders. So with that in mind, let's take a closer look at this portion here. Notice, first of all, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. 
Here the Apostle Paul requests for himself, Silas, and Timothy that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. He clarifies that. Not his opinions, not his uh, his uh, mind, but the word of the Lord, God's word. He's making clear what it is. Paul asked that literally the word of the Lord would run rapidly. That's that word. It would take off and run. You think of someone who's running rapidly, boom, they're gone, right? They're moving fast, okay? So he's praying for that. The Apostle Paul was about his calling and the preaching of the Word of God, not the sharing of man's wisdom to fill churches. He understood the ministry was to share the Word of the Lord, the Word of God. That's the ministry of pastors and teachers. That was the ministry of the apostles, uh, those who were the foundation, Christ being the cornerstone. Notice we see this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this should be, uh, you know, when you, if you ever go to seminary, they should give you a textbook for preaching, and it should be the Bible. <laughs> you see, because the problem is they've got all these people teaching about how to preach, whatever it might be, and they don't share the passages that are so important for understanding where one's heart needs to be and what one needs to do in relationship to the Word of God. First Thessalonians, or First Corinthians, excuse me, First Corinthians chapter 2. Now, these guys in Corinth had a problem. They were wise guys. They thought they were pretty smart, and they were elevating men. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of these guys. I'm of this ministry stuff. And Paul uses the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians to cause them to humble themselves and not boast before God, but to boast in the Lord. And so he's going to give a personal example of how he came to them, not as some super apostle wise guy, but as a totally dependent servant of Christ, sharing the word of God. Notice what he says. Chapter 2, verse 1, 1 Corinthians. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I didn't come with slick words and wisdom sharing the word to you. I didn't take God's word and put it in a slick package for you. I didn't do that. He says, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Christ was my focus. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. I was no superstar preacher. And he says there, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. But then he explains what he did share. Yet we do speak wisdom. Among those who are mature, wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom. And he's going to go on to say, we have the mind of Christ. We share God's word. What about 2 Timothy chapter 4? Turn there. The apostle Paul is uh, being poured out as a drink offering. He knows he's going to die. And he's giving his last words to Timothy. And so he shares this with Timothy, which he did also. But he shares with Timothy these last words. Last words are very important. Second Timothy chapter 4. And look at this charge here. I mean, this is a pretty serious thing. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead. That's pretty important. And by his appearing his kingdom, that's pretty important. And hear what he says. Timothy, do this. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and aside to myths or stories. Hey, that's what's going on in the evangelical church today. That's what's going on. Time has come. And so he says, Timothy, preach the word of God. Paul was about the preaching of the word of God. If you notice in Colossians chapter 125, I'll read this for you. Colossians 125, he says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed upon me for your behalf that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. He knew what he was a steward to. He'll share with the Corinthians later on in chapter 4. First Corinthians, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He's speaking of the word of God. 
In this case, moreover, it's required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. I don't care how much a pastor says I love Jesus if they don't preach the word in season and out of season, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting with great patience and instruction, then they are not good stewards of the calling, if they've even been called. Many are hirelings, by the way. So we have Paul praying and asking for prayer that the word of the Lord, back in our passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, may run rapidly or rush forward, rush forward, He's asking that the word of God would rush out. And it's through him, by the way, that he's asking this. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. That's what he's saying. We're going to share it. We pray it goes out. And he's, he's very clear with that. He's asking that God would put the word out, that it would rush forward rapidly. You might remember last week we looked at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Turn there for a second. Colossians 4. This is where the Apostle Paul also prayed for, asked for prayer, actually, in relationship to this calling in the Word of God. He says, first of all, in 4.2, for all of us, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in an attitude of thanksgiving. Hey, be praying, thankfully, with alertness. Do that. And within that, praying at the same time for us as well. Now, he wasn't changed. He could have said, pray that I get set free from these changes. Nothing wrong with praying about everything, but his primary focus is not that. He says here, praying for us at the same time as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word. Paul didn't plaster the word out over the streets. He didn't just throw it out all over the ground. The reality is he trusted the Lord to open doors that it would go out. And he's praying in our passage that it would run rapidly. That it would run rapidly. And he also says back in Colossians, so that we may speak the mystery of Christ for which we've been imprisoned, have been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear the way I ought to speak. Paul prays for an open door for the word. He prays that the word would go, or asks for prayer, excuse me, that the word would go out rapidly. Rapidly. You see, God is the one who is the one who opens the doors. Any ministry apart from prayer is not ministry at all. It's ministry, right? Okay? It's nothing, it's a, without prayer, it's, God's not in it. Unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. And so the Apostle Paul is requesting that God would do this. That God would do this. He understood his responsibility and he prayed that God would make it go forth. Make it go forth. We see in our passage here, he's praying that he would be able to minister in the context in which he's supposed to minister. The way he's supposed to. We see it all in Ephesians 6, and I mentioned it in Colossians 4, that I would speak the way I ought to speak. That God would open the door and I would do that. So important. Paul is asking for prayer that the word would advance and run rapidly. But notice he's also praying for a right response. You know, I think we pray for open doors a lot, but sometimes we don't pray for the response. And I think we can learn from this. Back in our passage, 2 Thessalonians 3, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. The word of the Lord, the great I am, it's Christ, his word. And notice what he says, and be glorified, just as it did also with you. The response to the Word of God. And this is what I pray for. I pray for your hearts. Nothing breaks my heart more than sharing an amazing passage of Scripture, and it's not me, it's God, and being convicted myself, and walking out of here and thinking, wow, this was wonderful, and someone comes to talk to me, and they have no thought of what we just heard. The word just bounced right off their hard heart and they're back into whatever they're thinking about. Pray that it, you would respond gloriously to the word of God. I pray for that. And Paul is saying that the word would spread rapidly and the word would be glorified. The term glorified means to make great or honor. That the word would be made great and honored. And honored. 
It's the response, and only God can do that. So we got to pray, Lord God, bring the response that brings you glory. Bring the response that brings you glory. Exalt your word in their hearts. Exalt your, make it great that they see it for what it really is, Lord God. And you know what? That's exactly what happened with the Thessalonians. He explains this. Look at our passage. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. Only God can do that through us. And be glorified, made great, exalted, just as it did. Notice this word also, very interesting. Also with you. He could have said just as it did with you. But he's including himself. His response also. God's word, if you have been saved, God glorified his word and exalted himself in your response. He's saying just as it did also with you. The Thessalonians were an example of God's word being glorified. He says, just as it did also with you. He's pointing to the incredible response of these pagan Thessalonians to the gospel. They were pagans. They were idolaters. And they heard the word of God and they turned to Jesus Christ. Look back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is what he's praying for, that, it would, that it, the word would go out just like it did with you guys. And I tell you, there's nothing more discouraging to share the gospel to someone and they just kind of go, oh, um. rather than God actually convicting our heart and they're responding and God's, and they see it as God's word. Praise the Lord. That's glory. That's glory. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse two. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, and he's going to explain how we know you really were saved and chosen. He says there, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. That's glory. They were fully convicted. And he says here, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of us and the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It was a difficult thing to receive the word in the tribulation that came, but they had joy. They were changed. God's word was glorified. And then he says here, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth both from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Did you hear about the Thessalonians? Well, we already heard about that. Praise the Lord. Well, what did you hear? For they themselves report about what kind of reception we have with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who we raised from the dead. That is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's a glorious response. They heard the gospel. They were convicted. They dropped their idolatry. They turned to God from idolatry to wait for Christ and to serve Jesus. Some people get saved. They never served Jesus. It's not a glorious response. It may not even be a response at all. They turned to serve him. To serve him, convicted by the word of God. They believed it. They turned to God from idols to wait for Christ. What about chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians? Verse 13, Paul says, And for this reason we constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as the, for the word of God, for what, it, for, for what it really is, the word of God. When we shared God's word to you, you took it as God's word. That's glory, right? And as I've shared, there are people we have in here at times. They're not here now, but they come in, you share the word of God, and they don't believe it's God's word ultimately. They kind of go, okay, yeah, whatever, you know. A glorious response is to see it for what it really is. And that's going to change you because it's going to convict you, it's going to correct you, and it's going to change you. So then, only God can bring this about. Only God can bring about a glorious response to his word. And Paul says, pray. Pray that the word runs rapidly from us and pray that it's glorified just like it was with you guys and also with us. Pray for a real right response to the word of God. People being saved and changed. Pray for that.
You want to know what to pray for your pastor? Pray that the word goes out rapidly and that it's glorified, that there's a response to it. There's a response to it. And that comes from God, not from man. It comes from God, not from man. Man tries to manipulate man in a response through talking them into Christianity or whatever it might be. Rather than proclaiming God's word with the power of his spirit in the context of prayer and trusting him to do the work and praising him for when he does it. We see that. You want to know how to pray for me? Pray that the word would run rapidly and be glorified. And if your pastor is about God's business, then his business is sharing God's word. And if he's a godly man, he wants you to pray that the word would go out and that people would respond and that word would be exalted and glorified in that response. Nothing happens in the kingdom apart from prayer. We can't do anything apart from God. And prayer reveals a dependence on him. And Paul understood that. Paul understood that. So he asks for this. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. But he's got another request. Notice this. He's got another request. And, verse 2, that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Here, the Apostle Paul reveals the temporal reality that if we are serving Christ, we're going to be opposed. We're going to be opposed. If you share God's word, there's going to be opposition. Paul knows this. He has experienced it, and he expects it to come again. It's right around the corner. So he asks for prayer. Now, this term delivered is not the term that's usually translated delivered like uh, saved, you know, so-and-so. It's a different word. It means being brought out of extreme danger, rescued, rescued. It means you are in peril and you need to be rescued. He's saying that we may be rescued, delivered. We're in peril from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. You see, folks, when you serve Christ, you enter into temporal persecution with the glories to follow. Paul considered it not even worthy to be counted, the temporal versus the glories to come. But the reality is we do suffer. John 15, turn to John 15. What did Jesus say? You've got to count the cost, too. You're going to have a sword in your family. You're going to have all kinds of problems if you truly decide to follow Jesus Christ. If you truly do. But it's temporal. And there's a glorious eternity awaiting And God even works through those difficulties that you want to avoid if you allow it to happen. He works through it for his good. He's God, we're not. John 15, verse 16, excuse me, verse 18. If the world hates you, doesn't mean they always hate you, but they do most of the time. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. That's, uh, you know, Jesus said, you know, be cautious when everyone loves you, (laughs) right? Something's wrong when everyone loves you because the world is not those who are following Christ, right? Okay, but he says here, if if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, let's put this in your memory banks, folks. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Paul understood this. Jesus said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. They're doing what is right. They're according to the calling for Jesus' sake. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29, for you have been granted, it has been granted to you for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, And we don't like the second part, but also to suffer for his sake. 2 Timothy 3.12, and indeed all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. Persecuted. What happened to Paul and what happened to the Thessalonians when they came to faith? They got persecuted. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2. There's so much in both these books. 1 Thessalonians 2.14 For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God and Jesus who are in Judea. Now he's going to say, you became imitators of the true church that was getting persecuted, by the way. That's what he's going to say. He says, for you endured the same sufferings at the hand of your own countrymen, 
even as they did from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, they are but hostile to all men. Notice what they do. Hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. With the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. There's going to be persecution, especially against those sharing the word of God. Of God. Folks, Satan, as we'll see, the evil one in a moment, he is opposed to the word of God, and thus his servants are opposed to the God of the word and the word of God. And we as believers are in danger when we share God's word. We need to be rescued by God from the dangers out there. You think you just go out and just go, I'm going to go do what God wants me to do. You know? Well, you better be praying for protection in that if that's what God has called you to do because you're going to need it. We need to pray for it. Paul didn't just say, oh, God's fine, we're fine, we're good to go. He prayed for protection. You see, we see the reality is that more often than not, it's not uh, those who are evil and wicked that will come against us, at least outwardly. It is usually those, like Paul saw, who had named the name of the Lord. The Jews named Yahweh. They named the name of the Lord. It's usually the make-believer, those who don't have faith truly, who usually persecute. The Apostle Paul, where did his opposition come from? Just like Jesus' opposition, from fakers, false, uh, false converts. Paul would share, and I share, he talked about the Jews in 1 Thessalonians 2. We read that a minute ago. And turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He talks about this. He talks about the bad guys, and he talks about who's behind them, because we're going to see that in a minute. It talks about who's behind them. But it does come in the form of people, by the way. And we need to be protected from those people, but ultimately from who's behind them. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, pseudo-apostles, fakers, deceitful workers, or literally workers of deceit. That's what, that, that's what their work is. Disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end is according to their deeds. And look down a little farther. Paul, in verse 26, Paul gives a list of all the difficulties he's going through. And he doesn't say the outright wicked, as we'll see, in a sense, uh, he talks about it in the climax of who he really has danger from. He says, I've been on frequent dangers, dangers in rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. False brethren. What did we see in Second Timothy? Turn there. It was read for us earlier, but let's take a look at this. We need to realize something that difficult days are coming, spiritually speaking. And we need protection. We need protection, folks. Don't be naive. Don't be naive. Paul wasn't naive. He prayed for protection. Second Timothy 3.1, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. It's going to explain why. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, Irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, uh, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, uh, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You'd think at this point these are a group of band of reckless people destroying cities, right? Well, look at what he says. Holding to a form of godliness. They're fakers. They're fakers. He says, although they've denied its power, avoid such men. Then he gives an example of the ones that messed with Moses, okay? They were fakers too. They said, oh, we're all holy, right? Uh, no, no, Moses was put in that place. They tried to take him down. But notice in verse 9, but they will make no further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, all that came to those two came to be. But you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Remember that. And indeed, 
all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. And notice what he says in contrast. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. More often than not, the difficulty that pastors come upon, as we're going to see described in a minute, it's the evil one is what's behind it, but it comes through bogus fakers. I call them make-believers. One pastor writes, I find that the spreading of the gospel is hindered more by people in the church than anything else. No liquor industry, barroom, gangster ring has ever attacked me. At least I've never known about it. But I've had so-called saints in the churches attack me. As you know, our churches, we, in our churches we have saints and the ain'ts. And there are a lot of ain'ts. They can give a pastor a rough time. That's the reality, folks. It's based on the Word of God, which we just read earlier in 2 Timothy. So true. I've experienced it. And I need your prayers to be delivered from these people. I'm not strong enough to be delivered from anything. God needs to rescue me. They can put you in a pretty bad bind. Paul's saying, rescue. I'm in trouble. Rescue. Rescue. So notice what he says back in our passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, and that we may be rescued, delivered from, notice he says, he describes them, perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. The term perverse is interesting. Uh, it literally means out of place. It's not the other word for perverse, which means twisted. That's usually translated perverse, twisted, okay? It means out of place. Thus the idea of being improper or wrong. You know, if I use the wrong tool, it is out of place. It's the wrong one, right? And some translations translate it unreasonable men. Improper. That we may be rescued from improper, unreasonable men. They're out of place. They're out of place. They're not what they should be. They're not gracious, kind, loving, and forgiving, but they're unreasonable and out of place. And O.C. also describes them as evil. The term evil means that which is bad or harmful. That which is bad or harmful. Paul is saying, pray for us for rescue from these perverse, they're twisted, they're not who they really are, where they should be, and evil men. And folks, this isn't the only time he does so. Romans chapter 15, verse 30. Now I urge you, brethren, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with, with me in your prayers to God for me. Strive in praying for me. That we may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea. Delivered. Paul understood without God's deliverance, he's going to be taken down physically in a sense. Okay, So he's praying for it. But we're going to see he also has faith that God will do it. That God will protect him. See, notice what he says. He's totally dependent. He's totally dependent to be rescued. And notice the last description of these men. For not all have faith, or literally the faith. Not all have faith. That seems kind of odd. Not all have faith. Well, what does that mean? Obviously, there are believers and non-believers. We know they don't have faith. So he could, why does he say not all have faith? Again, I believe he's alluding to the fact that there are those who claim to have faith, but not all have faith. He's pointing out. He's giving us clues. He's giving us clues. You see, non-believers don't have faith, but not all that say they have faith have faith. You see? You've got to realize not everybody in the church believes in Jesus, even though they say so. Judas was a pretty good faker. No one was on to him even after three years until he became fully manifest. There are those who do not truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ and they will oppose the word of God going out by opposing those who put the word of God out. You see that? That's what they do. We've seen it here. They oppose overtly or covertly. They are really of their father, the devil, the evil one, as we're going to see in a moment. And Paul knows he needs to be delivered. There are unreasonable, out-of-place, improper, evil men who do not have faith, who are out to stop the word of God by going out against those who share the word of God. So I need your prayers. And every pastor and everyone doing God's work, sharing his word, needs your prayers for these things. To be delivered 
from those evil men and imposters in the church. Brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. This is what's most important. That the word would go out rapidly from us, produce a glorious response, and we'd be rescued from perverse and evil men, those who don't have faith. Those who share the word of God are a big target for Satan. So what's your prayer life like? Uh, You know, the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James 5. 1 Peter 3, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears attend to their prayer. Pray. You want to know how to pray for me? You're seeing it. You're seeing it. Evaluate your prayer life. What do you pray for? We need to be praying for those who share the word, that God would smooth the words, uh, open the doors and allow it to go forth rapidly, and that there would be a response that glorifies God, and that we would be protected from evil and perverse men. Ultimately, the evil one is behind it. Look at that. Notice verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. Paul says, pray, pray, pray. I need this. Desperate, yes, pray. But he's going to say, hey, God's faithful. He answers prayers. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Now, this is a very interesting statement. Did you notice something very odd about this? But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Shouldn't it be this? He's going to strengthen and protect us from the evil one? We're just praying for our protection. And now he turns it to the Thessalonians. You see, Paul understands this, and now he's saying and encouraging them in the same breath. The Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you. You're going under persecution too. He'll protect you from the evil one. You see, the evil one is what's behind all this. The evil one is who is behind it. He'll strengthen and protect you from the evil one. The Apostle Paul understands He understands that only God will deliver them and that God is faithful. We'll look at that in a minute. God is faithful. There are unreasonable, perverse, evil men who don't trust Jesus, who suddenly and openly, slanderously attack those who share the word of God, but behind each of them is the evil one. The evil one. It comes in the context of flesh, but the evil one is what's behind it. Ephesians chapter 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but ultimately against the devil and his schemes and his minions, right? We see that in Ephesians chapter 6. It's against the devil. Ephesians 6.11, Put on the form of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the full armor of God that you may be able to stand or resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. You see, the evil one is what's behind this. The evil one is Satan. And Paul is asking for protection from those who are ultimately of the evil one. That's what he's saying. You see, because he then says God will protect us from the evil one. He's the one behind it. You see? Jesus used this term evil one, speaking of the one who snatched away the word of God from the heart of the one whose seed was thrown besides the road in the parable of the sower. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, Jesus says the tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy has sown them is the devil. Matthew 13, 38. Jesus even prayed for protection for his disciples and for us from the evil one. He even prayed. If Jesus is praying, then we need to be praying. John chapter 17, I have given them thy word, and they have, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. It's a prayer according to God's will, okay? Keep them from the evil one. In the end of Ephesians 6, in the form of God, the shield of faith which is able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. 
He is the one who is characterized by evil. It is Satan. It is the devil. He is characterized by evil. He is the evil one. In 1 John chapter, uh, in 1 John chapter 2, we see that because of Christ, we have overcome the evil one. We see that Cain was of the evil one. And we see in chapter 5, 19 of 1 John that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, but God keeps those who are born of him and the evil one does not touch them. The evil one's the devil, Satan. He's characterized by evil and he's ultimately the reality behind these people Paul is praying for protection against. So Paul prays, obviously he knows what it's coming from, but he also prays for how it hits him, right? Pray for me to be protected from these men. They're bad guys. They're bad guys. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Hey, we're praying for that, but he's faithful. He's going to do it for you. He's going to do it for you, Thessalonians. Term strengthen, we've seen this word before, sterizo. We get our word steroid. means setting something up so that we'll be immovable. Removing instability. Protecting just means to guard. It's like a guard that's watching over a, 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 a prisoners, whatever it might be. Protect, guard. So then the Lord will strengthen us, cause us to stand, remove the instability, and he will protect us and guard us from the evil one. And why will he do this? Because he's faithful. He's faithful. Let's finish up with this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24, Faithful is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. You pray for protection from the evil one, you trust God, you will be protected from the evil one. You rely on Christ to protect you, you will be protected. You'll be guarded, you'll be strengthened. Indeed, Scripture testifies that God is faithful. Deuteronomy 7, 9, You know therefore the Lord your God, he is the faithful God. Psalm 36, 6, The loving kindness of the Lord extends to the heavens, thy faithfulness reaches the skies. Jeremiah shares in Lamentations 3.22, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions are forever. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You're faithful. You keep your word. You do what you say. Great is thy faithfulness. And if we're unfaithful, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. 2 Timothy 2.11-2.12 For he cannot deny himself. Hebrews chapter 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our oath without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to establish us, remove instability, and to guard us from the evil one. But that will not happen unless you pray. And Paul understood that. So then... How are we to pray for our leaders? Pretty clear. Finally, brethren, pray for me, pray for us, he says, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified. And you know what that means. Just as it did also with you. And that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But in contrast, the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Isn't that beautiful? How do we pray for our leaders? Here you go. So maybe there's some of you out here, on a side note, who haven't had a glorious response to the Word of God. You've heard the Word of God, maybe you hear it over and over again, and it just kind of slides in and slides out. I'm praying that God's Word would bring a glorious response and that you would see it for what it is, truly, and you'd respond for what it is and who spoke it. Pray for me. Pray that the word would go out. We'd be rescued from evil and perverse men. And trust the Lord. He's faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for Paul and his example of dependence on you. I thank you for this prayer that we have recorded for us, or this request. Thank you for what it shows us. It shows us that you are gracious and faithful and that you will protect us, that you will strengthen us.
and guard us from the evil one. But it also shows us we need to depend on you. We need to trust you. And I pray we would do so. Lord, I pray that you would protect us as a body from the evil one. And I thank you that you will if we trust you. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, in whom the word has not been glorified. I pray today would be the day where by your Spirit's power they would see it for what it truly is, your word, and they would respond gloriously in trusting your Son, Jesus. And Lord, for us, may we continue to respond to your word. May you be glorified in our response today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.